Welcome to Horns Up. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. And yes, we took a break last week, still recovering from our chat with Immolation. But the break has been kind. For this week, we are chatting about something that yet again has Horns Up excited. Yeah, long-time listeners may remember that way back in October 2020, on episode 104, we spoke to Babar Sheikh from Pakistan heavy metal act Dusk. And on that episode, he promised that there was an album on the works. Well, that album released 28 January 2022 via Cyclopean Eye. It's called Imaginary Dead. And here to talk to us about it and a lot more is our brother from another mother, Babar Sheikh. Welcome back to Horns Up, Babar Bhai. Kaise ho? Kya hal? How are you doing? Bilkul thik thak, ekdam masti mein, as you guys would say it. And um, really, really honored and really happy uh, to be back. I'm not just saying that because I'm back on the chat, but I keep following you guys. Um, some of the very, very um, solid conversations. And I think what you guys unearth with your perspective and your questions is, is not the run of the mill stuff. So good stuff. I have yet to check out the new uh, one you guys have done with emulation. Um, and uh, um, I'm excited about the release. They're actually posting a lot about it. Um, and uh, I'm excited to hear about it. Of course, Harnessing Ruin is still one of my favorite death metal albums of all time. Um, but I think after Harnessing Ruin, I just feel they couldn't, it's just like the same album. So, so you'll actually uh, like the new emulation, I think. Yeah. yeah. But, but wait, I have to ask you, and I'm only doing this because you're somebody who I think will give us a great response. <laughs> if you've been on the internet in the last week and you're following any metal, you, yeah. you'd have come across the former singer of Cannibal Cops, Chris Barnes, making outlandish statements like he's the best <laughs> death metal vocalist and everyone else sucks and just now basically losing the plot of sorts and kind of throwing and his... all this is just in time when Corpse Grinder is releasing a solo album. I huh? know, I know. Like at some point, <laughs> like the mar- if I if I have to like take aside like you know the music listener and put the marketing brain of mine, I'm like idea like viral <laughs> to like go viral and all this is no better idea but what's your thoughts because I'd actually let's start off with this Barnes era uh, cannibal cops or cops grinder era okay so I feel that uh, Barnes the shift from Barnes to uh, George Cops grinder Fisher was one of the defining moments in extreme metal for me when I realized as a listener, that it's not just a guttural, a guttural growling voice that's behind the mic. There's a shitload of a difference between these two guys. And that's when I started appreciating different singers for their different styles. I mean, you know, you, you think it's easy to sort of like, you know, do growling vocals and it's nothing. At, at that one point in your career, you're always thinking when we all getting into much more complex stuff, you're kind of, you know, thinking, ah, the metal thing is, ah, you know, and you, you're kind of a little bit um, in a strange space with your likes and dislikes. And that is the point when I think, and it very, happened very earlier on, I think it was right after the bleeding. Um, and I remember, so I've got memories with Cam- Cannibal Corpse. One of the first ones is, and most of them are from the Barnes era. Uh, the first one is me buying a 
uh, uh, um, an original metal blade pressing vinyl when I did own a vinyl player way back in 1992 I bought butchered at birth you bought it for the artwork na of course no I mean, <laughs> for the artwork and the fact that you know I I had no idea what that band sounded like to be very honest you know I was coming from Pakistan and my only source of imagining what a band would sound like would be reading about reviews about them right yeah. um and thanks to like you know publication the one publication that got me going that got me so riled up into metal was uh, a magazine uh, that was on the fringes of being a fanzine and a magazine called metal maniacs and our metal maniacs was uh, run by this lady called katherine uh, uh, ludwig Uh, if i'm not wrong was it ludwig or I, if I, i think i think you're correct i i, even, I got may god bless her soul she died of cancer a few years uh, back uh, but i was lucky to make contact with her via facebook actually thanks to the social media i just it's so helped me so much to get in touch directly with shit loads of people who i was fans of anyway but when i when i picked up the bleeding uh sorry the 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 uh, butchered bird and i i listened to it you know it's like the first song which is me talk right before that is a strange sort of a intro and at that point it was kind of cool to do an intro like that because um morbid angel was doing a similar intro in the beginning of blessed yeah. as well yeah. where it's kind of like some studio techniques and nowadays it's easy you know isko leke ulta kar do isko us tarah chala do uski layer bana do but at that point you know in when they were recording on spools and adats it must be like difficult for them to like we do it uh, to answer your question i'll tell you for me barnes's vocals added a strange mystical layer upon upon uh and and their lyrics are anything but mystic yeah. uh, but but strange the atmosphere the musical atmosphere that was kind of woven by barnes's vocals over a lot of stuff on on uh, butchered and a lot of stuff on uh, bleeding for example like bleeding yeah. that opening track man Whew. i can never forget the first time i listened to it and it kind of sounded a little bit more mystical and fisher kind of made it sound like more in your face yeah mm. so i think that's the prime difference for me um no doubt but i think if you listen to fisher in monstrosity uh mm. with the album uh, impending doom he sounds complete sounds like same guy but sounds completely different because it's in, it's contextualized with the music and the same thing when he when you put it and the same thing like i picked up the first six feet under uh song yeah. i was like man and i love the fact that it was barn singing on it but barn it was the atmosphere it was the same energy yeah thought man of course not you know so and i hope yeah j- just to kind of have the last word on that i hope you haven't been listening to latest six feet under cause i be- stopped following them after I think I listened to them last when he sang Purple Haze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun though. Yeah, but 
also the bleeding was was given to me as a as a present recorded on a tdk tape uh-huh. by, by uh, the bass player for one of the finest asian grindcore bands ever to walk this planet mm-hmm. uh, there's a band from singapore called grey chord and it's a legendary band man grey chord just released maybe two eps or some demos or something but man they 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 would they were such a underrated such a heavy as a ton of breaks band and kavi kumar their guitar player who i'm really good friends with like a brother since 1995 uh-huh. he also played on he guested on um, um, on my uh, on on our thrash era split ep uh, as well so anyway lots of cross connections but yeah <laughs> that's awesome You got to touch me up, man. I talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> We know. <laughs> That's why I asked you the question. I wouldn't have asked it to anyone else. <laughs> yeah, and as such, time ki to pabandi as such nahi hai. Like lo- largely speaking, loosely speaking, and plus, we know that we can always come back to you and have another chat. But uh, the focus of this chat is Ooh. the new Dusk album, right? The Imaginary Dead. Yeah. How would you like this album to be received? any intent as such for the listener so when i when i was reaching out to friends and people who i've been following in the scene i reached out to people who i thought could relate to the album um people like lela abdul rauf uh plays in a band called wastum Yeah. um also plays in uh, plays live with hammers of misfortune and uh, uh you know several other non metal ambient uh, projects that she does um people like her Kev, people like kevin hofnigel from uh, gorgots you know i i feel that these are people who kind of have transcended boundaries and limitations and for me i think every time when i'm thinking that okay this dust album is going to be like this but it never is it always sort of goes through a metamorphosis and it turns into something very organic and i think that whole process is something that i've become more and more appreciative of over the years that what i think that process or that thought is then gone through an evolution so to be very honest i think people who want to hold this record and listen to their this record i would say um you know stuff that i think um the guys from cynic said when um, they were releasing focus well, i think that was a way forward album yeah. but you know they said you know listen to it with an open mind and i would say the same i think i've tried to try my best to kind of marry in the components like if i'm doing a heavy heavy death doom crushing part i make it like that and then if i'm doing something which is very proggy sounding it is proggy you know so i've tried to keep those components real and sort of you know mesh or weave into each other a little bit mm-hmm. i think uh, i think if somebody is listen to the album they should listen to it with an open mind and honestly speaking if i would want listeners to j- listen to just another doom or death uh sounding album it would be not worth it right even i wouldn't want to go through that ordeal even if i was listening to someone on my laptop or through speakers on bandcamp i would think that okay this has to be something unique there has to be something up for the offer 
Yeah. yeah. And I totally relate to that because like, I must give a big shout out to, again, Sandesh Shinoi, because he sent me an early uh, copy of the album and I did the video premiere uh, earlier this month. Of course. And I'm, I must be honest here, right? Like when on the first listen, I was like, okay, what's happening here, right? And I think that's the thing with metal, unlike any other genres, is that you need to kind of put in. And for me, honestly, personally, this album's been a grower. Each time I listen to it, there'll be like the diff, there's so many different elements. I mean, like if I have to break down the album, you've got like so many different vocal styles, right? And if you're the typical, you know, you either want it brutal, 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 or it takes you on that journey. And I'm very glad you made the Cynic uh, reference, right? Because in a way, if you listen to the latest Cynic album, on the first time you listen to it, you're like, what really are they doing? But once you actually give it that opportunity, listen to it with an open mind, it kind of like, I, I just still remember listening to the album and messaging Animesh saying, oh my God, this album is a trip. And I couldn't describe it any uh, other way. But having said that, right? One thing I must say is it's from the first song itself. It's very intentional how warm the album sounds, right? I mean, uh, there is this analog sound to it. It doesn't wanna... sound digital at all. Yeah. Like I, if you, if you told me this was recorded on like an analog setup, just the way you were describing uh, how the early stuff was uh, done, right. With all the effects and all, I would believe you because that's just how it was. And which brings me to my question. Mm-hmm. Is that intentional? Like just the whole thing. Like how warm the how warm the album sounds is that is that intentional? Do you want yeah. for it to sound analog as such? Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I love uh, sounding. Uh, I love listening to albums that sound um, uh, a certain way. And I think being overproduced. And this is something that I think um, I realized. It was almost like I was backtracking from that overproduced sound. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think myself and Faraz, even though we were recording programming drums uh, back in the day on our first two albums. But I think by the time we recorded our second album, we pretty much had nailed. If you take away the program drums, I think the sound is immaculate. uh, We knew how to do a polished production. And I'm not saying it was a big production, but it was definitely a polished production. So when I backtracked, when Faraz departed the band and we had serious musical differences because I kind of wanted to go back. I wanted to backtrack into that more warm sort of heavy sound, you know, for me. And I did a lot of reading. So it's completely intentional. First of all, I've done a lot of reading on how to sort of, you know, and, and the kind of guitars I'm using. So I was mindful of the kind of guitar I was using. I was mindful of the kind of pickup. I was mindful of the kind of amps. Uh, Santiago Dobles, uh, who uh, was meant to play all the solos on the record and also mix and master the album, unfortunately could only appear for two solos because of time restrictions and, um, you know, um, but anyway, I'm just glad Santiago is a great man. And he kind of really sort of saw my vision and he kind of guided me to what amps, he said, what do you have there? And I said, you know, I've got these old Mesa Boogies and these old Marshalls and 
we sort of recorded layers upon layers of guitar. So what you hear is not one or two guitar tracks, but they're like, I think several layers played in the same way. And they kind of multi-tracked onto one another to create that sort of, you know, sound. And I'm a big fan of, of um, like, if, I, if you ask me, uh, I, I, I love the, style, uh, the guitar playing style of Euronymous, not because he's Euronymous from Mayhem, but yeah. to be very honest, that guitar playing on Funeral Fog, he, it, it's hard for me to explain, man. I mean, that's a monumental moment in extreme metal. Uh, the way he picks and plays guitars is so beautiful. And I use this sort of word to express myself beautiful, you know. And it's almost you feel this kind of mist, mist of like fog <laughs> layer, the way the guitars are actually approaching. And I try to exemplify those moments. I think there's a bit of mayhem that comes to mind when uh, we sort of go with that dissonant chord in the first song. And I always wanted to open the album with an intro. So what happens in track three, uh, where a friend of mine does a narration for a beautiful analog sounding intro, that was the intro. But when I wanted to put the album out, I said, no, man, it has to sound with this heavy power chord in these sort of crashing drums. So we would not, we didn't go through any extra miles of misery to sort of make it more warm but i think we didn't overproduce it and we kept it real and we i think when i was very mindful of the kind of guitar i was using all of the stuff that i have is pretty much old school i haven't jumped the bandwagon right now like most of the extreme bands and started playing a fender jazz master or a jaguar <laughs> but, but i'm still playing i'm still playing an iceman uh, with some solid deactivators. Um, and I'm playing a Flying V uh, with a 67 reissue, uh, which kind of gives a really heavy fuzz, you know, that beautiful. That's a classic sound. Classic sound. And with the Marshall and the Mesa layered upon each other, you can't go wrong, you know, I think. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay. So that question came about because we'd had a chance to listen to the album and I'm pretty sure whoever's tuned in right now and has not listened to the album is wondering what it sounds like. So Babar, uh, pick a song for us to play, right? From the album, which, which song do you think best is a, a great example of what you were trying to achieve this old school, warm sound that we just spoke about? Well, I think uh, <laughs> that's, there's sort of several tracks on there. Um, but I think there's a song on there, which uh, um, I think kind of grows on you. It's um, track uh, five, if I'm not mistaken, a uh, song called um, Deconstructing Desire. Mm-hmm. And uh, this song is special for me because of so many reasons. Every song is special for me. But this song is special for me because I think I really, by the time I wrote and recorded this uh, recorded the scratch track for this, um, you know, I was sort of playing a lot of down picked strokes and uh-huh. the guy who was recording my scratch tracks is a friend of mine. And he's like, it sounds like Nirvana on heavy distortion. And I was like, I don't actually give it a shit if it sounds like, <laughs> um, so it sounds like, I kind of open it up 
uh, with a solo that I kind of, it's my first attempt ever on a intro guitar solo. So that's not uh, someone else. That's me sort of playing this lead. It's not even a solo. I think it's a lead. But I think the song goes through several moods. It also features, it's the only song that features both of our clean uh, singers that sang uh -huh. vocals, uh, which is uh, Sheria Raza, Sheri Raza and Wajiha Nakwi. Both of them are featured on the song. It also uh, has a lot of components like the spoken vocals and it's got a really fun outro. It's one of the most fun outros ever because uh, with a great story about this acoustic solo that happens at the end, um, which is played by the guy who co-produced this album with me and played a lot of solos because Santiago couldn't. And uh, this is Kashan Admani, um, uh, beautiful, great producer. We've sort of become really good friends over the period of recording this album. And um, I told him, why don't you play an uh, acoustic solo? And he said, sure. And I know Kashan is a perfectionist perfectionist to the T. Perfectionist to the way where it sounds too clinical for me. <laughs> so this, what you hear at the end of Deconstructing Desire, this guitar solo is actually an, a, a rehearsal take. Really? I kind of press record on it. I was in the control room. He was in the vocal room back there with his beautiful acoustic. And he said, no, 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 no. The phrasing is off towards the end. I was like, I don't give a shit. It sounds right. <laughs> and because I knew what he wanted to do, he would probably do 5,000 takes after that and come up with this beautiful solo. But I knew it would be great technically, but it would lack this feeling that this one had. Uh, you know? So this was literally the first take that he, he did or the second take. Uh, so it's got a really beautiful guitar solo towards the end. And I think it's got some heavy moments as well as other stuff. Yeah. All right. So here it is. Here is Deconstructing Desire. <laughs>
that was deconstructing desire from the new dusk album the imaginary dead and yes we are talking with babar sheik when i was listening back to our early conversation right you had you have one aspect which is like you know the crushing heavy bits mm. and i'm glad you mentioned that actually the third song was supposed to be the intro because when you come to those first two songs and then you go to the spoken word part like kind of thrown off like what's happening so the way i divided the album and if i wanted to do it is you have the crushing heavy parts then you have these spoken word parts mm. there's that entire part which i think threw me off where you put in the modem the dial up sound i was just like yeah, what that one was that one was a proper trip yeah, yeah because you're just like relates to that yeah yeah it's like literally and i have to use the hindi term because i can't say it properly in english but sabka bachpan yaad aata hai right hearing ah, yeah. that uh, dial up tone and yeah. and and that's the way i would look at it like you've got there and also i wanted to understand just the sequencing because yeah this it it's it, like i know you've said you initially thought that you'd want the spoken word in the start and then you put it there tell us the metamorphosis that happened uh, in there i mean um so i i planned the album i said i'm not going to do any filler tunes on this album i could come up with enough material that i had written over the years and this is starting when i would sort of be driving and record riffs with my mouth uh into my iphone and you know this process starts in 2016 or 17 and it kind of you know ah uh, okay i'm going to let uh, this year i'm going to do the album this year and then finally when i started out it was 2018 when i started to think of parts etc etc by end of 19 we were clear that i want i have enough material to put out solid um six or uh, five metal songs like extreme metal tunes uh and some of them are clocking at 8 minutes plus also yeah. uh, but that's the way i thought of it right so and i thought i'm going to have some of the other stuff as well i started toying around with a analog synthesizer which i got my hands on in 2018 or 19 and i play with another band which is a non metal project and i was kind of bored with playing a bass on that band because i really wanted to mess with the bass sounds and i think it's a thing now the paddles are back a lot of analog gear is back with a lot of indie bands like yeah. so jumped that bandwagon i said i'm going to go one step ahead and sort of worship geddy lee here and have an analog synth in front of me with a bass and also try to like do something so this analog uh synthesizer uh kind of like um, a a version of a mini moog came into my life and i started playing with with some things that i could do and um so what i did was two of these things came very naturally to me uh that both of the ones that have no guitars on it um one is something called uh, twilight morse chord and the yeah. other one is something called monochromatically reimagined yeah, yeah. So monochromatically i always get confused between monochromatically reimagined and identity's burden uh so these songs are also all so anyway so this uh, these two came very naturally to me and i went into the studio very earlier on in the beginning of the process which was around covid when covid was starting to take over the world and that is a time when i recorded three or four tracks in each song out of my synthesizer 
with you know twisting the knobs and all of the shit that you do um in a analog on an analog synth and then i forget forgot about them yeah concentrated on all the metal stuff and um finally came back to them in 2021 and um, i completely forgotten that one of my friends who was filling in subbing for the recording uh engineer at that time was a sax player and he said uh hey if you want i can bring my sax tomorrow and i said please do it and i remember we that very day we went to the studio and i he just st- stood there and he played some stuff on his sax and also we forgot about that completely like what he played how it was sounding and now in 21 i kind of went back and i did nothing on monochromatically reimagined i did nothing but actually took his sax we gave it shit loads of reverb and like a lot of ambient sound so it sounds more like a haunted ship horn or something and then it's just the synth under it right and we did nothing and it sounded right and the guy said oh five minutes of that i said screw it sounds okay you know and the same thing i wanted to really have tagorji on my album somehow and i was like okay so i went to uh, international copyright free website where you can actually download an aiff and so you hear rabindranath tagore on uh, on uh, twilight morse code and that song is actually inspired by a morse code because that uh, tonality on the analog synth is a morse code tonality i think cynic has used it on their new album as well um yeah. on one of the first songs that came out as a single uh it also has a morse code and it, i think it's so, sort of the same sound effect but i really messed with the thing so and to answer your other part of your question i think at the end of it i kept thinking what this should sound like i think uh in animate reflections was for me always track 2 always okay. um because it is a little speeded up if you compare it to the tempo we do with dusk you know it's a little bit more mid tempo fast and i don't know i never i i always think that i don't want people to get the wrong impression that oh mm. you open with a fast track and then slow 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 so no 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 throwing the fast track somewhere in the middle um uh, egan grau was a a a an a track that i think is the most complex and technical track i've ever written in my life uh it's a easy track for technical musicians to play but for me it was something special because but but that track for me belongs somewhere in the middle of the album okay um and when the intro happened i actually wanted um uh, you know um several uh, of my friends came to my mind who i could approach and uh, you know because of covid you cannot pester or push anybody too much for you know doing something and then finally in uh, in uh, you know in this part of the world we always talk about nasib Yeah. Iska naseeb hota hai wohi karta hai whoever's fate or whoever's uh, fortune is it it is that they they do it and this is what uh, happened that uh, my good friend Anthony uh, Drago from uh, Fingernails ex Fingernails currently plays with a band called Admiral um one hell of a rock and roll guy he also runs a record label called LA Riot Survivor Records yeah uh, where we did a um uh where we did a motorhead tribute on his uh thing where where abigail was from uh, japan was also on it several other bands were there 
Um, so I, I spoke to Anthony and he said, sure. And he said, what do you want me to say? And I said, just read this out and sound like yourself, please. And he said, I want to do something with it. And you know, the, the part where he says, real, surreal, he kind of sings it. And that's so cool, you know, because he kind of adds this part to it. I was always imagining for him to be a very speaking, very almost like a monologue, monotone monologue, sort of, you know, baba, 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 baba. But he kind of added his own thing into it. He makes it sound so epic and big <laughs> that. Uh, so I, I felt more than an intro, it should also belong somewhere in the middle of the album. And that's how okay. the sequence kind of happened. Okay. It's, it's, it's interesting you say that because uh, while listening to the album, now for me, I can't listen to track number three, which is the spoken word song, right? It's, it's, uh, it's called Like a Candle Flame Ceaseless. Um, that has to be followed by Egan Grau. So if, if, and this is a very, like very objective, basic question. If like a candle flame caseless, ceaseless was to be the opening track, would Egan Grau then have been song number two or would it, what would song number two still be uh, inanimate reflections? No, then song number two would be ancient shattered moon because ancient ah, shattered moon. Okay. Because I, I just feel that Doom riffs are so, so bloody difficult to make. Every Doom riff in the world has possibly been made by Sir, Mr. Tony Iommi. Tony Iommi. <laughs> it's been made. All right. Yeah. All of metal has been made by Tony Iommi. Done. It's, it's done. done. Okay, yeah, let we, us, we, all of us are just rehashing him. Let's, <laughs> let's profess and let's, <laughs> let's confess to this right now on this beautiful platform with you gents right now that it's been done. Yep. Nothing else original can be done in doom metal. Yep. I, Babar Sheikh from Dusk, Pakistan, am saying that. You can put me on record. <laughs> so it's really <laughs> difficult. So when a doom riff comes to you, it really, and it sounds like, you know, I have a collection of doom riffs that I could make two doom albums out of, uh, which I always shy away from because I was like, nah, this sounds a little bit like Sabbath and this sounds a little bit like Sabbath and this, this is good, <laughs> but it sounds also like Sabbath. So I have to kind of walk away from all of that shit. You know, I'm very mindful of not, okay, fine. There's moments on the album where uh, there is homage to Sabbath. Yeah. Of course. And that I, I completely take ownership. That's beautiful. That should be there. You hear it with Cathedral. You hear it with every other band. But, um, but the opening riff, not the opening intro riff, but the main riff of Ancient Shattered Moon, when it came to me, I was really happy. I said, okay, this is something different. It also has some Eastern notes in it. Yep. And the way the phrasing and da na 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 Na, 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 da, da, da. You know, and it also has that sort of scary movie thing happening with like this whole Sabbath thing with the minor note here and there, sharps and all of that shit. I'm not a technical player, so I don't even think how I'm writing. I just listen to what I have in my head. And uh, at one point, I really wanted to experiment with almost like an opeth sort of um, uh, thing that they do on uh, uh, the heritage album and I really yeah. thought I should I should and I'm not 
technically as gifted as a bass player to play that but i really wanted to get someone and we have tons of uh, really technically gifted bass players in pakistan also who would play that style i wanted to almost get a jazz guy to to sort of play like a almost uh dialogue between the riff and a bass like and i i i don't know what happened but i didn't end up doing that and i was like okay fine but the way the riff came to me it sounded so fresh i was like i have to have this as a track on the album you know and uh, the rest of the uh, riffs on that song are also great they come from the heart but you know you always think there's nothing but the op- the the main verse riff i think is something special for me and that's why i would have that as, as definitely one of the opening tracks even if the intro was like a candle flame i would have that second okay, we've spoken so much about ancient shattered moon let's let's listen to it and then we'll come back and chat about this particular song a little bit more because it's a special one for dusk so here it is here is ancient shattered moon
that was ancient shattered moon and the reason why it's actually a special track for dusk is because for the first time you actually made a video for a dusk track so i have to ask you i mean considering that you know that's your day job <laughs> uh, if you think about it right like working on video and stuff after two decades where why the need to kind of now make a video i mean if you think about it like traditionally if you we've spoken on our last episode where all of us like discovered metal through videos right and this was mtv and other channels but in the age where basically everyone's watching youtube why the need to create uh, a video this time okay so ancient shattered moons video is actually uh, technically the third video that dusk ever did Okay. uh just did a video for something called returning which was uh, on our track no- on our first album this song uh, called returning where it's and i kind of also made this video in a very interesting manner um then the second video was also made uh, for a track from the first album a kind of like a ballad track that we did called uh, still black and white uh, it's essentially a spoken word with a lot of clean guitar type of stuff um it was done in 1999 um wow. way before way before uh, opeth pulled out uh, damnation <laughs> yes i'm saying that on record uh, so michael akafel we hope you're listening <laughs> good so, so this is at least at least i think 5 years before damnation came out uh, where with proper drums uh, with a clean guitar yeah. and vocal word i couldn't sing to save my life so i wasn't singing clean but uh, there was the second video and then this came out so sandesh when he heard sandesh noy our good friend hey sandesh uh, was um, listening to the demo for not the demo well unmixed version of ancient chart boot and he said oh man this sounds heavy and you need to really we need to really push it promote it um uh, somehow into the doom world and ek to dusk also is not a doom band i don't know what it is it's a death doom band i don't know what it is i feel <laughs> it's it's heavy metal <laughs> let's put it's it heavy metal way. yeah or heavy metal yeah and then he said we really have to sort of push it and i said sure what do you want me to do is like can you do a video i was like shit and i hate doing a video because i feel the music of dusk deserves a humongous budget video uh, which i obviously do not want to do because the money is going to come up oh, out of my pocket and i don't have the kind of money to be very honest also i do not have any musicians who are participating as per se on the album uh-huh. um so i it's going to be really shitty to sort of uh do an album do a video with like dummy musicians uh even if i do a really cool sort of a handheld camera and like a performance video so it doesn't work right so i said okay what am i doing so i was kind of working with all this footage uh for one of my other projects where we were kind of going around and uh studying these trees that are kind of it's a research project and i had some interesting stuff and i was just messing on an editing software on how you know i would blend these images and stuff like that uh, yeah so basically ancient shattered moon is essentially a lyric video but it turned into something different with more you know usually in a lyric video you have one thing coming and going coming and going in the lyrics lyrics yeah. lyrics for this it's much more than that because i didn't want it to be boring so i have many other images but as per se there's no narrative by that uh, image work it's more sort of creating a mood 
with all the black and white. So most of, almost all of those images are from trees around uh, Karachi. Where I went uh, uh, researching for them for another film, a research project I was doing. So it kind of nicely marries into it. Okay. Uh, one interesting thing that you spoke about there was the necessity of doing the video in order to basically talk more about the album and let it be, um, let it reach people in that manner. Yes. Um, I want to ask you, how much work do you put in to promote? Because these days, definitely with the internet, it's easier to promote and market the album than ever before, right? Yes. But I would also think that it involves a lot more work because now you have to think of designing graphics, you have to make constant posts. You're essentially a content creator. Absolutely. Oh, you had to. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, that's the I way know, that's the way a lot of artists and a lot of musicians are looking at it, right? Um, and especially in this challenging time, because there's no life factor anymore. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully 2023, uh, hopefully 2022 kind of helps with that. Like in it is what it is at the moment. Uh, what's your view on promoting in this weird time that we live in? So I feel I, I play with another uh, project band of mine, which is a non-metal band. I think I've mentioned them before. And uh, we pretty much went berserk with promoting ourselves on social media. So I kind of know the game of how it's done. And some of our videos have a over easy over a, a couple of hundred thousand views. No, one of our videos has over a million views, wow. uh, uh, which is pretty great. But this is another band. This is a much more accessible, wider mainstream audience. Yeah. Um, but still, I kind of know that it's not easy to kind of do it from your own platform. You definitely need all sorts of gimmick, not gimmickry, but sort of this technical digital know-how to achieve that. Um, you definitely have to get people on the payroll for that. I definitely have known that. So I leave Dusk to what it is, which is essentially a passion project. Um, um, the, uh, when I am really flattered when people like um, um, major players in the international scene praise me for my production and my work on the album and all the, I wouldn't take credit for it. I think the album is a big joint effort. Uh, but, um, but, but I feel at the same time, it is a passion project at the end of the day. Um, and uh, all, as far as nowadays, I think is concerned, what I'm doing a lot, thanks to Instagram, is how I made connections and Facebook, how I made connections through the world. Santiago Dobles, I know through Facebook, you know, through a Facebook message. And then he ends up playing on the album. He ends up not playing on the whole album, which he was meant to be, but he does play on at least a couple of songs. And uh, I'm friends with the guy, uh, Patrick Mameli uh, from uh, Pestilence, you know, one of my all time heroes, Paul Masvidal from Cynic, um, um, many other people, um, Ernie C from Body Count, man, uh, you know, uh, just a message away, these guys, you know, and yeah. uh, so honored to actually hear from them and, you know, chat to them, stuff like that, you know? Yeah. I'm a I, big, I, I like the fact that it's me. By the way, sorry. Uh. <laughs> you are a bodyguard fan. Big time. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, cool. I don't know why. Whenever I think <laughs> of that band, I can only think of one song. 
and it's talk shit get hit <laughs> that's like that's just the way <laughs> you hear something they did a couple of years back called this is the way we ride no man man you guys should check out that song also they did a, a slayer cover yeah, of course yeah, that, that's the that one, one that's we saw one. yeah that, that one year, isn't it man so much that was cool yeah so that was cool one it, of man. the better slayer covers ever i know ever, man and they they really nailed it man yeah, yeah. completely completely sahi tha ah. but I, i must bring up the solos i mean you brought up uh, santiago dobles a couple of times and i remember in our last chat you had mentioned uh, that he was going to play uh, on the album so it's it's just kind of going back to what you said about the sound right because when you hear the solos and especially when you put it into the context of death doom right this is not your typical solos that you hear on there like i made uh, someone else listen to it and they're like please tell me like i'll hang uh, i'll i quote them they said i'll hang up my metal boots if this guy's not a fan of like sabbath and zeppelin and stuff like that because it was that evident in there so tell me about the solos i mean i know santiago played who else played and like what's the role that you play in that right like do you just kind of say hey yeah. this is this needs uh, a solo or do you kind of give them direction or references how does that go okay cool so uh, as far as santiago is concerned santiago ended up playing on two of the songs one of the songs is on the album which is even grow one of the more complex weird time signatures that's i'm playing a very weird i don't even know how to count time signatures but i just played a very weird time signature under it and santiago i think it's one of the most complex solos i've ever heard in my life uh, if you heard the solo on egan grau it's like i don't know it's like a blender machine going yeah. wind backwards and sort of you know it's very weird and then um he played on ancient chatted moon uh, but that appears as a bonus track on the album uh, so uh, ancient uh, shattered moon with the alternative uh, alternative mix which is, appears as track 9 has santiago solo on it as well which is a beautiful solo um but by that time i didn't know what was going on and i told santiago listen man i'm going to go ahead and start recording solos here because you know time isn't happening and i really at one point i wanted to get the album out of my system because it's been enough I was like 2021 we have to put it out it it happened that way that 21 22 we did put it out and you know thankful for that um uh but what i did was so who plays the rest of the solos which is uh, track uh, four of the solos um which is on ancient shattered moon uh inanimate reflections uh deconstructing desire and identity's burden is someone called kashan admani who uh is a rock player uh he's one of the most sorted solid producers in pakistan and when santiago uh, and me sort of it didn't really work out that we going to mix the album in florida with santiago kashan said man i think we can do it here sitting together here and i said okay and we did it and then i said listen you know what you're going to get into now if you're going to mix the album i'm not going to get someone else to play the solos and he's like okay I'm going to hold the guitar you tell me how you want it to sound like right and that's something that I did with Santiago as well that I written notes those are very interesting notes on Microsoft Word I typed what I hear happening like I hear a bit of Andy LaRock Michael Denner happening over here I hear some 
uh, sort of uh, George Lynch happening here. You know, um, I hear some tapping happening here, you know, and then I just give these cues to people because this is what I do for a living. I, I work as a creative director. So also don't want to sort of hold someone's hand and say, you know, yeah. do this. I've always been against, especially in Dusk, I've been completely against uh, using people just for their technical abilities. No, sir. You know, it has to be their own trademark. Um, for example, the solo on, uh, I never thought Ancient Shattered Moon solo has to be on a WAP pad. And Kashan pulled out his WAP pad. He asked his studio helper, he's like, let's pull out the WAP on this. And I was like, Whoa, wow, wow, wow. You're going to play this on a WAP? I never thought of it like that. But then it sounded so beautiful. And he plays it on a, a, a strat, I think, as well. And it just sounds so killer um, with that solo and without any sort of extra work, just played through a, a very honest tone of a, of a Marshall through a WAP. Uh, in Animate Reflections, also Kashan plays, he plays a bit because. He said this track reminds me a little bit of when he was getting into Maiden and all of that stuff in the 80s. And he said it's sort of like, you know, with the guitar harmony. And, you know, I was like, okay, Maiden, he's thinking Maiden. I'm thinking Sacramentum. I'm thinking Dissection's first album. But he's thinking Maiden. So he wanted to play that sort of Neil Murray style. Very sort of like that, that kind of. 70s, 80s heavy metal, new wave of British heavy metal style. Yeah. Song. Uh, um, for, uh, so this is how it happened. The most interesting solo for me is uh, the solo on uh, Identity's Burden. And he played it and I was, I did the same thing that I did for his acoustic. So I, was, I kind of pulled the jack out of his guitar or something. <laughs> like, not playing it again. This is beautiful. This is immaculate. I'm not going to play it again. And he said, okay. And I, I kept thinking, I was like, this solo sounds so beautiful. It can't sound so beautiful. And I was like, what does it remind me of? And there's a part in the solo where he goes, and he goes, and I was like, okay, hold on, you know? And I, I played it to my assistant director on a film set with my, through my, I just sang it to him. Huh. Like, what does this remind you of? And he's like, uh, for whom the bell tolls? <laughs> said, no, but it actually, what it actually is, is fairies wear boots. Uh, towards oh, yeah. The yeah. And I told Kashan, I was like, dude, man, I think we're going to change the solo. And he's like, why? And he's like, I said, because it sounds like the outro to fairy wear boots and fairies wear boots. And I said, uh, he said, dude, I've never heard that song. He's, he's been a Sabbath fan, but he's, he's a rocker. He's much more into Lynch and a lot of other stuff from the eighties than into Sabbath. So he's like, I've never heard that. So it's not copying at all. And then I said, sure, of course, you know, so we just sort of, and with all the, we sort of added some, very 60s sounding reverb on it. So it sounds a little different, but if you dig deep, so I like to think of it as a homage to Sabbath with the- uh, Yeah, fair enough. With that part of fairies wear boots where it goes, doom, 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 and you go, so that part sort of for like half a riff throws you back into that zone of, of Sabbath, yeah. yeah.
Now, considering that, you know, Kashan played the solos uh, on the album, he also helped, you said, uh, co-produce it. Yeah. If And now let's just like leave the current reality we live in and just be very optimistic that there is a live Dusk gig. Does it, would you lo- see Kashan joining you on stage now? Man, I see Kashan's a, Kashan's a big time producer. He said he'd love to join me. I asked him already. So I threw this thing in. I was like, dude, what's up? Man? I told him, you know what? Heavy metal tours are very different from your, you know, getting out of a Mercedes SEL. You know? <laughs> and, uh, because Kashan's like, like, he's just releasing his first film as a, as a filmmaker as well. And uh, oh. he's, he's uh, you know, lives the red carpet life. And I was like, dude, you know, <laughs> and he said, no, I'm going to do it. I don't mind doing it with you. Uh, if it's a few gigs, I don't mind. Um, but I think, I think essentially it's myself and um, uh, the nucleus of the band that actually realizes. And one of the points that I'd like to bring up here is the fact that I'm essentially a bass player. and I don't play bass on this album. Um, uh, I think this is a conversation we had in 2020 as well, because yeah. <laughs> I kind of had it up till here with playing all the guitars. All the guitars, except for some clean parts, are played by me. And I always thought I'm going to play the jug, 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 all the power chords and everything, and then get friends of mine to help me with the harmonies. But lo and behold, COVID happened and I had access to no one. And I used to be sitting exactly in the same place where I'm chatting with you from, figuring out harmonies on my own. I was like, okay, this has to, I have to do it. Now I'm on my own. So by the time I did all the harmonies, I was really happy with them and all the clean guitars and the ambient chords, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Indian chords were done by Omran Shafiq, but some of them I did. And then I was like, I'm not going to sound like a one-man band and do the bass on it as well. So in comes Mike Bloodcurse uh, yeah. from Ilamazu, and uh, who's been a friend since 1997. Um, and he said, okay, I play bass for you. Okay, no problem. And he's just set up his studio in Singapore, which is a rehearsal and a jam studio, but also now turning into a recording studio called uh, After Dark Productions. And uh, he said, okay, I'll play bass. And he did a phenomenal job. I mean, um, he really kind of evokes the spirit of Geezer Butler, I think, especially towards the end of the part of Ancient Shattered Moon, where he kind of plays a very sort of heartfelt sort of notes. And this is what I do. I never told Mike what I had in mind. He's like, hey, come on, tell me, do you... Do you think of a chord here or do you think of three notes here? I said, man, do what you want to. And when he sent me the bass tracks, I always sat there here listening to them on my headphones with a smile on my face because it was very close to what I was thinking, right? So I think that is, that is beautiful, that kind of uh, connection that you have with someone. So I, I know Mike will come out uh, to play live for sure. Uh, and Mike is a great, phenomenal guitar player as well, a much better rhythm guitar player than I am. So I don't know for live, it just might be that I might go back to bass and vocals and Mike might do rhythm guitars and we get someone else to do solos. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it yeah. should happen if the live scene comes up because this time I've been shying away from playing live most of my life yeah. with us. But I think it's something that I have to, it's kind of like a fear. I have to kick out of my system. I have to get on stage and do it. And, and, and actually the reason why I asked you is because uh, at least you know this, that I follow the band Takatak and uh, A for LF uh, yeah. did actually a show recently in yes. Karachi. Yes. So it got me thinking that, hey, you know what, 
how how many bands are there in pakistan yeah. that can play live yeah. right and i was like what will it take for babar to kind of put uh, right. something like that and especially in your hometown right exactly but also the fact that you know i i'm really fond of what the kind of sound the takatak boys have achieved uh, and uh, afor alif are actually great friends of mine but when you talk about this album sounding very warm and analog it also is that you know i'm very now this is where where i say i'm really open minded when it comes to let people do their thing this is one thing i'm not open minded about is this sort of stylization that i have imagined for dusk you know and anyone with with a with, i feel the overtly technical bit probably never works um that's why i love the sound of how and and believe you me there's friends of mine in pakistan who are beautifully gifted drummers um uh, i know the gent from uh, takatak is a beautiful gifted drummer but other than him there's some non metal drummers who could nail this album in like a 8 hour shift no 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 words spoken uh, but why i really like halim's playing tremors playing is the way he hits he sort of has this very individualistic style uh even if you listen to the album that we played on together the impiety album which is for me donis next cultus it is a bombastic album in terms of drum sound and the way he plays drums is like so out there you know um because it, i think it really feels it there's something over here um that it it sounds like a human and 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 less mechanical and more yeah, human. yeah for sure but a drummer i think because halim's got obligations or most of the times i don't know how live is going to happen um uh, but yeah man uh, it has to happen <laughs> yeah but something to look forward to yeah like i realized like okay if there's a couple of members uh, in singapore then maybe a singapore gig or something like that right or a asian gig i think it's easy to travel thanks to all the low budget airlines now it's easy to travel within asia uh and uh, you know at our ages most of us are old men now uh you know a little time away from the family and sort of you know okay oh, i've mixed this up into a small okay i spoke to soon family so <laughs> but yeah you know a little bit of uh, sort of everybody thinks okay i could take some time off you know do a gig in sri lanka or thailand or something like that mix it up with a new vacay time or something like that i think it makes sense but yeah looking forward let's see as as you know for me i think this album materialized and came out this was a big thing you know mm-hmm. and uh, it's like i'm telling you guys i really needed it to be coming out of my system because at one point then you want to sort of cut the umbilical cord you want to detach this creation from you and sort of let it go out there and sandesh is very good at that at one point when i was remastering and remastering and remastering he said now send send me the album and forget about it and there was still 20 days before he would actually send it across to no clean singing which premiered our debut track um so in those 20 days and he kind of took me in this weird therapy and he said stop thinking about the master now stop it you've given it to me nothing's going to happen now you're not changing anything and i still had shit in my mind was like okay uh, i could change this a little bit more and he said no 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 it's gone and it's beautiful there's something interesting about 
stuff which sort of gets released and it's out there and you learn to appreciate what it's about yeah. uh, rather than nitpicking about it you know yeah because if there were no deadlines and if 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 it never got released you would still be working on it <laughs> that's what i love about deadlines i love deadlines too by the way All- <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think that's that's like an inherent creative problem right you just want yeah. to completely you need like, to you, you need some you need you need some external factor to tell you to okay basically stop working on this yeah. now no also yeah. also also the fact that you guys should be really thankful you live in uh, in a place where publishing is still uh, a big thing you know yeah. it's a big tragedy for a place like pakistan where i think publishing is now i i think it's kind of kind of getting a life back of its own with the indie scene but with the metal scene hardly man i mean you know and for me i come from a generation of publishing everything you know has to be out on tape on cd on uh, it has to be published and it has to be out there you have to cut links with it and put it out there um so i i i get there's something uh, i talk about it in identity's burden as well in the lyrics which are we can talk about the lyrics sometime else in my life but uh, if there's a chance but uh, that uh, i talk about uh, you know it kind of is inspired by songs and anthems that kind of just lay around on our desktops there's something so bloody depressing about that um beautiful musicians i've seen just sort of you know you go up to their place they'll pour a drink for themselves and say listen to this you listening to an absolute bloody masterpiece and unfortunately it's just an mp3 and it's always going to be an mp3 on their computer because it will never get out it will always be a saturday night companion to some good whiskey or something like that you know for most people sorry to depress you guys but that's how it is i'm glad at this point you're talking about das being like a passion project right because there are a lot of people who kind of started passion projects and i i, I was talking to the, uh, this author hindi author a few months ago and he was talking about like people who just write these stories and things like that and they just end up being in these ledger books they never get published anywhere and like when you read it you'll think that oh these are great stories but it's it's that i think the south asian or just that mentality of you know creative right how do you kind of value it so i, yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from with that yeah i think now there's hardly any reason for you not to publish you know uh you could play guitar on your instagram story and publish it for 24 hours man put it out for the world and just announce i'm going to be playing some live guitar you know i'm going to be singing all my songs and it's out there it's so beautiful that there's so many avenues now that you can actually explore put it out on as a video on youtube or like a track or anything but it should be out there i feel it should because this is what gives birth and gives way to new creation then yep. you know it kind of goes out there um into this cosmos of digital technology and probably does nothing you know um, you know screw thinking about how many views or listens it has you know Exactly. Be- Once it's out there, it's out there. Time for you to move on to the next thing. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. having said that, what is the next thing? Have you already thought of something? I know there's a uh, split album that's going to be that you're planning to release this year, right? 
Split album with Anatomia from Japan uh, has been in talks for a number of years now. Uh, we were at least been talking about it since 2018, I know for sure. So it, that's the, you know, uh, uh, Vikram Bhatt says, uh, um, uh, that's the doom pace we move on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> talking about, uh, uh, talking about uh, a split album, take three years talking, you know. <laughs> and then take another two years entering the studio. But that's the same thing, if I'm not mistaken, what happened with Dying Embrace. We were talking forever about uh, doing a split album and then finally, but I'm so happy that that split album happened because, uh, you know, I don't know if that wouldn't have happened, maybe there would not be an opportunity like that. But uh, we, me, myself and uh, Anatomia has been talking for a number of years and they said, yeah, it's on the thing. And then finally in 2021, uh, middle of the year, last year, uh, they connected again and said, okay, great. Now it's time. And I was like, okay, I didn't kind of bring it up again. They did. So they don't want to do it. And, and they really want to do it. And right now I am, what, where am I? Me and Kashan have kind of recorded the scratch track. It's been sent to Singapore for drums. Hopefully we will, we will get drums done. I would say I would be hopeful that this album will come out and fall. It's going to be a, a seven inch vinyl for sure. Uh, yeah, so seven inch vinyl, one song by Anatomia, one song by Dusk, very cult, very classic. Hand number it, copies. Is it going to be like three, three, three copies? <laughs> Limited Probably edition. four, four, four or something like that. <laughs> Do something different, you know? Yeah, yeah but uh, let's see. We have a few uh, people in mind, but I feel uh, Sandesh might just be uh, someone right. And he, I think he's, he's into the fact, the fact that sets him apart from a lot of other labels. And I think he's also very good at uh, the business side of it, but also the fact that he's still a fan. He still has the soul of a fan inside him, uh, which is something very, very essential. So it might just be that uh, Sandesh might be releasing it. Let's see. Um, but uh, we're pretty much hopeful that it might happen like that. So that's up on the cards. Uh, after that, we're also working on a short experimental documentary film uh, that uh, someone from uh, an, uh, cultural organization from abroad wants to do with us. Okay. Uh, they've shown interest since last year. Um, it talks about Dusk as the first metal band to happen in Pakistan and how it happened, what happened. And so it's, of course, not just about uh, us jamming in a room and me sitting and talking about the band. I think it talks about the culture. It talks about the subculture. It talks about Pakistani society. It talks about several things. It celebrates Pakistani way of living. Um, so the documentary is much deep rooted than just the music of Dusk and what made the music of Dusk possible. And how I kind of, you know, and, and there's, there's interesting things that, uh, that are coming out in the script on how accidentally so many things happened that made the sound of Dusk happen, you know. Um, so that's going to be fun. That's something that we're working on as well. Good. Good. So things to look forward to. I know. Yeah. That, that's exciting. Alrighty. On that note, yeah. let's call it a night for at the moment. But Babar, you're always welcome on the podcast because I think the next time we just want to chat general metal with you. 
Yeah, like fandom, just like the start. Just fandom, like, yeah. yeah. Which Cannibal Corpse album do you hate the most? <laughs> yeah, or, <laughs> or what What you, because, you know, there were so many, many more people that I reached out to and I'm in touch with them. I wanted to feature uh, Wino on the record, like I told you guys last time. Uh-huh. But, you know, you know, I respect, respect Wino. He, he, at one point he said, okay, I'm going to tell you. And he was really into it. We were exchanging emails, et cetera, et cetera. But then I also don't want to push my limits and sort of barge into someone's life to sort of, you know, do this for me. I consider myself a big, big, bigger fan than a musician for sure. Um, you know, uh, so uh, let's just do that, man. And thanks so much. It's always when you, with you guys, and I'm not just saying that, believe you me, it's literally like um, I spring out of my chair with energy after I've, I've done the podcast with you guys, but it's because it's so much, I think it's so much uh, fanboying going on in, uh, in conversations, which I love, you know? So yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for the opportunity. As always, we are at hornsuppod.com or on Twitter at hornsuppod. I'm on Twitter at Asmoani. I'm at Trend Crusher. Babar, Yo. I know you have a Twitter account. You barely keep updating. I have a Twitter account, but I hardly use it. Um, primarily, we're using uh, the Instagram handle, which is uh, Dust Doom Metal. Um, so yeah, look us up or on Facebook with Dusk. For sure. Thank you. Thank you for promoting the album. Buy your physical copies now. There's a beautiful t-shirt that's coming out. Uh, first ever t-shirt to be pressed for Dusk, by the way. Wow. Um, so the t-shirt nice. line is something superb, something beautiful uh, that um, that we're putting out, that the label's putting out. So yeah. Anyway, I don't want this to sound like a promotional pitch for the merch and the CD, but for sure, I oh, think... that's okay. Holding a screen in your hand has its moments, yeah. Of course, of course. We leave the Cyclopean Eye, Bandcamp link, etc. in the show notes. You know where to find them. Till the next time, horns up. Horns up, guys.